Hare Krishna, welcome to our Sunday program, um, November 3rd, 2019. And uh, this will be the second to last program coming from San Diego. So, uh, reading from Srimad Bhagavatam. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Today we begin in Canto 1, Chapter 3, Text 32. The Sanskrit is Atatparam Yadavyaktam Abhyudha Guna Bringitam Adrishtashuta Vastu Twat Sajivojat Punar Bhavaha so these verses actually are a little complex, and this is reflected in the fact that uh, the great commentators, such as Sridhar Swami, have very long commentaries. Often, uh, Sridhar Swami, uh, Jiva Goswami, Vishnath Chakravarti Thakur, and of course, uh, Vira Raghava and Vijaya. Here's the, these are the great commentators that Prabhupada also used, and of course, there are some others. And so often they'll give, uh, not purports in the way that Prabhupada did, in the sense of, uh, of course, some of Prabhupada's purports are also short. Some of them are very long. Some of them go on for pages. The Sanskrit commentaries of the Acharyas tend to mostly clarify what words mean. If there's a particular word or a sentence which is not simple Sanskrit, or the words can be interpreted in different ways, or it's not clear what the reference is to, <clears throat> they'll simply clarify that. There's not very much what you'd call preaching in the Vaishnava commentaries, in that sense, Prabhupada's purports are, um, of course, for a different time, at a time when people actually don't understand Krishna consciousness. Uh, the Acharyas were writing their commentaries for a learned audience, first of all, an audience that, that knew Sanskrit, and second of all, an audience that was very interested in the Bhagavatam. So they tend to simply clarify what words mean and uh, to show the logical uh, sequence between one verse and another, how does this verse follow that verse, and, and so on and so forth, or what the point that Bhagavatam is really trying to make here, things like that. So, uh, again, their commentaries tend to be, in general, much shorter than Prabhupada's purports, but in this case, for this verse, we have long commentaries because it's this and the next few verses, uh, and even the verse before this that we did last time. Uh, the verses are not, I don't want to say esoteric, but... Uh, there are few words to say many things, and it's not always obvious what the point is. So you have to you have to really look hard at it to understand exactly what it means. So, so just to give you the context, the last verse, the last two verses we did, thirty and thirty-one. Uh, thirty said that eta rupam bhagavato hirupa sachidatmana. It was talking about the. Uh, the universal form of Krishna, this form of the Lord, Etarupam Bhagavato, Hyarupasichidatmana, the Lord who has no rupa, has no form, who whose self is simply consciousness. 
uh, and his body, his spiritual form is made of consciousness. Maya, Maya Gunaya Virachitam. This is a form, Rupam. This form is Virachitam, constructed, built of, uh, or built with Maya Gunaya, the modes of Maya. And so we're talking about the universal form, Mahadadi Vir, uh, by the qualities of Maya, uh, which mean, which are the Mahatadva and other related components. So we're talking about a form made of the Mahatadva, that's verse 30, Atmani, uh, and all these things, these, but actually all these uh, Maya qualities, Maya qualities, and the Mahatatva and all these uh, building materials actually exist within the Supreme Soul, Atmani. It's not his real form, but it's a form which is imagined or conceived of for those who cannot imagine anything beyond matter. And then the example is given in 31. Uh, if we If we say that this universal form is actually Krishna, it is like saying that the sky is cloudy. Uh, and we know sky, which is uh, the most subtle of the five material elements in Sanskrit, bhumir apu, apu, anilavayu, kung, kung or nabas, there are different words for it, or uh, akasha. Uh, that sky is space itself. Actually, when the Bhagavatam says sky through these various Sanskrit words, it's really talking about space as a subtle material element. And, and to give an example of how space is actually an element, let us say, for example, that you and I are standing uh, 10 feet apart, or for those of you who don't use that system, let's say three meters, approximately three meters apart, three or four meters apart. And let us say that we're in a vacuum chamber or that we're in outer space. Let's say we're in outer space, there's no air, there's no oxygen, there's no atmosphere, and yet you and I, we can measure the distance, we're a mile apart or, or whatever. So if you can measure something, it exists. You can't measure something that doesn't exist. And so therefore, space itself is an element. Uh, in the modern world, uh, the person that talked about space as an element that has its own influence on the universe, uh, that was Einstein, of course. Einstein talked about the space-time continuum. So space is an element, but if you think about it, everything exists in space. In fact, the third canto of the Bhagavatam says that the quality of space is that chidra datar twam. It is the quality of giving an opening <laughs> or giving space to all things. So for example, if you say, I don't fit here, it means there's no space. If you say, let's say, I mean, because you can talk about something not fitting in a vacuum chamber where there's no air. So you don't need air to have space. But whatever you put in space, I mean, everything is in space in the material world. And yet space itself doesn't mix with it. I mean, think about it. Air, look at the other elements. Air mixes with things. If you have, for example, a particular object that is within air, uh, you may get, for example, rust, or you may because because air is is you know is, has oxygen, and it interacts with whatever is in it. So air itself interacts with with whatever is in air. 
or not speak of water. Water certainly interacts with everything. I mean, anything you put in water, the water will affect it. And of course, it will affect the water. And then you have uh, fire, just went out of order there. Air and fire. Fire obviously interacts. If you put something in fire, there's interaction. Or if you put something in the earth, there's interaction with the earth, with the elements of the earth. But if you, but things are in space, no interaction. That's why space is given here in the Bhagavatam, also at the beginning of chapter 9 of the Bhagavad Gita, where Krishna says, uh, He's saying that everything is in me, but I am not in them. Again, things are not in me. Just like the great air, the wind. When Krishna says, uh, The great Vayu, he's really there, you could say, talking about the Earth's atmosphere. You could argue that, that the great air, or the great the great air is, of course, the atmosphere of the earth. And so Krishna says that it's everywhere, this great air, as Krishna calls it, Bayu Mahan, this great air, uh, Sarvatra Go, it goes everywhere, it spreads everywhere, uh, and, uh, and yet uh, it is within space, and it does not interact with space. Space contains everything. So in the same way, Krishna contains, so because of that, and, and so then, of course, Krishna also gave the example, just as we, we say that the sky is cloudy, it's really not. The cloud and the sky are completely different elements that don't interact. Or we say that the air is dusty, but really dust is separate from air. You still have pure uh, air, uh, oxygen molecules, then you have dust. So at a molecular level, they're different. So thus, uh, so just as we impose dustiness on air, we impose cloudiness on sky. So we impose subject, we impose, uh, let's say, uh, uh, being the object of our sight on someone who's actually a subject themselves. And we went over that at length, I think in the last class, that you are a subject, you are a conscious being, and yet someone that wants to exploit you, someone just sees you as a vote, or as a source of money, I can sell you know sell you something, or as a sex object, or just someone wants you to uh, praise them or like. Them. In other words, someone who, for some psychological, physical, economic, social, political reason, wants to use you, wants just sees you as an object of their satisfaction, but you're not an object of someone else's satisfaction. You are a subject of your own life. So that's the, these are the examples being given. This is serious philosophy. So that's where we left off. Now you know the context. So then in text 32, it says, Atatparam, beyond this. So we're going to talk about, so beyond this means we're talking about something beyond matter. Atatparam jadavyaktam, that which is unmanifest, a view the guna, not necessarily beyond matter, but beyond what we just talked about, a view the guna bringhitam which literally is not developed by unmanifest qualities or by or uh or it is uh yeah not developed by by manifest qualities so it's not just a product of the modes of nature and so in other words this is a way of of 
it, it's sort of a transition from what we were talking about to get to something purely spiritual. So it says beyond this, what we just talked about, beyond this, there's something which is invisible. Uh, Prabhupada translates it unmanifested, avyakta, avyudha, uh, guna bringita, uh, without formal shape. Prabhupada translated avyudha, uh, develop, without, without a formal shape developed by the modes of nature. So this is not a product of the modes of nature. And what we're going to be talking about here is the jiva. So here's the, not confusing, I mean, it's not confusing if you know what's going on, but if you're just a casual reader, it'd be confusing. And that is the Bhagavatam is talking about all these avatars of Krishna, to put this in context. Here's a list of all the uh, avatars of Krishna, and actually there were 22. Well, there were actually, there, were, there was a, uh, actually 26, because there was a quadruple avatar, I think four Kumaras, and there was a double avatar in Narayan. But there were 22 in the list, of which there was one case of four and one case of two. So however you want to number that. Anyway, after giving this list of avatars, then explaining that uh, Krishna's two, Bhagavan Swayam, that actually, or however, Krishna is the Lord himself. Krishna is the original form of the absolute truth. And then talking, giving, making some general statements about all the avatars and uh, the different categories and so on. Then we hear about the universal form. The universal form, of course, is, is sort of sui generis. In Latin, mean it's in its own category because it is not Krishna's real form. For example, we have a material body and we, you know, that's our body that we're running around in. Of course, we ultimately have a spiritual body. But the universal form, it's not that Krishna is actually doing things. It's, it's not that in his universal form, it's not that, let's, let's say, the whole universe, well, that would be very difficult for the whole universe to incarnate on one planet. But Krishna doesn't, it's not like some big cosmos, some big universe that's running around doing things. So that, that's not really Krishna's form, that's the idea. And then some examples were given to show how we confuse consciousness, which is a subject, all manifestations of consciousness are persons. Uh, as William James, I believe, the early, uh, one of the founders of modern psychology, he was an American, William James said uh, that we have no experience or example of consciousness that doesn't belong to someone. So if we say, talk about consciousness, it's always someone's consciousness, it's, it's personal. So, the Bhagavatam now wants to explain that there are these avatars, there is the universal form, which is ultimately just an object of meditation rather than a really active, engaged form of Krishna. But then beyond this, there is something else which is not materially manifest. It's not materially constructed. Because in this world, as Krishna explains in the Gita, uh, that everything is really built of these three modes of nature. Of course, the three modes take on objects. In other words, there are objects in goodness and passion and ignorance. And so all these objects, if you study the third canto of the Bhagavatam Kapila's instructions, you find that the modes themselves sort of as powerful forces come into the universe. And then, uh, and then as Krishna says in the Gita, uh, there is nothing in the universe that is not 
built of these modes of nature. So anything, any physical thing, any uh, material object, in fact, is constructed through these modes. And therefore, to say something is beyond the modes is to say it's spiritual. And that's actually the word Krishna uses, compound word in Bhagavad Gita, several times he, he uses the word uh, gunatita. Guna means, of course, the qualities or modes of nature, goodness, passion, and ignorance. Ati means beyond, and ita in Sanskrit means uh, gone. If you know Spanish or Portuguese, you know the verb ir, which means to go, and the r is just the infinitive marker. The verb is actually e, and that's pure Sanskrit. E in Sanskrit means to go, so ita means gone. And so uh, guna ati ita or guna tita means gone beyond the gunas. And that's how you say transcendental in the Bhagavad Gita, guna tita. So, um, so to say that something is beyond the modes is to say that it's transcendental, it's, it's beyond, it's spiritual. So here we have adrishta ashuta vastutva, that because this spiritual object is, is vastu, it's an object, that's where you get the word vastu, which is not architecture, it's simply, uh, you know, a book that talks about objects and how to configure them, houses and so on. So, but vastu, the word vastu itself, not vastu, the long name, but vastu means uh, simply an object, a real thing. and, and uh, where is it in the beginning of the Bhagavatam? Vastavam vastu atar shivadam tapatrayon mulanam. In the first verse of the Bhagavatam, uh, the absolute truth is referred to as vastava vastu. Vastava, from the word, so if vastu means, let's say, a substance, and then vastava would mean uh, substantial. So a substantial substance, it's very emphatic. And actually, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur took this term. In the first verse of the Bhagavatam, Vastava Vastu, and uses it a lot in his Bhagavatam commentaries, that Krishna is the, like the real reality, the substantial substance. And so here it said, Adrishta Ashruta Vastu taught, because there is something which is a Vastu, it's a real thing. It's a real thing, it's a Vastu, but it is Adrishta, unseen, and Ashruta, unheard. Uh, and that is the jiva, sajivo. So the tricky part here is that we've gone from the incarnations of Krishna or the avatars of Krishna to the jiva. And in a sense, what we're getting here in the beta, 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 different, abeda, non-different, we're getting the abeda here because the, the logical sequence is, here's the list of avatars, Krishna's original avatar, and then a few comments on them. There is another in a sense, not manifestation, but another um, form of Krishna, which is more or less imagination. It's just an object of meditation rather than a real active form of Krishna. And the reason that's not really Krishna's form is because it's material. It's the universe, which is, it, it's all matter. And then, but beyond this, there is something which is not material, and that's the jiva. So in other words, the jiva here is connected to Krishna. Both Krishna and the jiva are not material. Uh, they are both pure spiritual beings, as Prabhupada explained so brilliantly, uh, qualitatively one, quantitatively different. Uh, 
So Adrishta Shruta Vastu Twat Sajivo, that is the Jiva, Sajivo. Jat Punar Bhavaha. And yet that Jiva is taking repeated births. Uh, the Sanskrit word bhava can mean uh, being or it can mean becoming. If you think of the English word become, it simply means come to be. And so bhava in Sanskrit can mean either, it can mean the material world. For example, bhava, like, like as Lord Chaitanya in the uh, first Shikshastika says, bhava maha davagni nirvapanam, that, that Sri Krishna Sankirtan puts out the fire of bhava. It's very interesting because bhava really is a point of contact with, you could say, Buddhist philosophy. In Buddhist philosophy, uh, their so-called void, shunya, uh, doesn't, it doesn't mean, they don't mean, the Buddhists don't mean that there's actually nothing, nothing really exists. That's not the void they're talking about. So uh, we should not go out into the world preaching that they're the voidists like the Buddhists that believe that nothing exists because that's absolutely not what they believe. In fact, Buddha called his path the the Madhyama, middle path are called the Madhyama cause, the people of the middle path, because they reject the idea that nothing actually exists. When they say void, what they rather mean, I mean, in that sense, they almost believe more in the world than the impersonalists, who, who just say it's all Maya. That's why the, the Shankara followers had a lot of heavy debates with the Buddhists. Because the Buddhists say, this, yeah, this world is here. However, uh, you cannot, how should I put it? The world is devoid of, the world does not have any object which is just that thing itself. For example, take your body. At every moment, your body's changing. As we know, if you know anything about uh, molecular biology or just even ordinary anatomy or phys uh, physiology, uh, the body's constantly changing. You know, we eat, and of course, we're devotees, we really eat. <laughs> but anyway, we eat, and, um, and we're constantly recreating the body. The body's constantly in a state of transformation. So, therefore, this is the Buddhist point. You cannot. You cannot show a body which is just that thing itself because you can say which body it's changing at every moment and as soon as you point to it say okay let's just freeze the camera right now but there is no freezing because the change is going on continuously and and if you freeze the camera that's not really your body because your body is not frozen in time your body exists within time and there is no actual body outside of material there's no material body outside of material time and therefore even if you say like let's freeze the camera and just take the body right this second that's not actually your body that's just a uh, a picture you've taken the real body never stops and so uh this is buddhism it's interesting because this idea was not just the buddha it actually went around the world because for example heraclitus is a uh, is a greek philosopher early greek philosopher who lived almost exactly the same time as buddha and so this idea definitely had come to Greece because he expresses it, Heraclitus, the same idea of constant change by saying that you cannot step in the same river twice. You cannot step in the same river twice. 
And the way I often express it is you cannot breathe in the same body twice. You can't take, you can't breathe twice in the same body. And so this is what they mean by void, but Krishna already said that. You know, Krishna got the scoop there because in the Bhagavad Gita, I believe it's chapter eight, uh, Krishna says, Adibhuta Ksharo Bhava, the governing principle of the material world is that everything is always in transformation. You know, every particular object is always perishing and something else arising. So this is what is meant by void. Just so you know, this, this is what is meant by void. It does not mean that nothing exists. So that's the word bhava. And <clears throat> because bhava means, or has come to mean, I mean, it means literally, and also it's often used to mean in literature, becoming, and, and, and therefore it comes to mean the world of becoming. In other words, a world in which nothing just is what it is. A world in which everything at every moment is in the process of becoming something else. At every moment, everything is in the process of becoming something else. And therefore, because the word bhava means becoming, bhava also comes to mean just the material world. And that's the way Lord Chaitanya uses the word in, in his first Shikshastaka, bhava mahadavagni nirvapana. That Sankirtan puts out the uh, mahadavagni, the great forest fire. I mean, forest fires are never kind of a nice thing, but this is a great forest fire. This is a great forest fire. Mahadava, Dava means forest, Agni. Mahadava Agni, and, and of course, it's in the Sangsarpara. Sangsara Davanala Lidalo. Davanala, Anala is fire, same as Agni. So Davanala or Davagni means the same thing. So Sangsara Davanala Lidaloka. So Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur actually paraphrases Lord Chaitanya in the first Sangsara prayer, which is interesting. So, bhava mahadavagni, the great forest fire of bhava, of a world in which nothing ever is itself. Everything is always becoming something else. And therefore, there's a type of, you could say, slow motion chaos or slow motion because everything is, nothing is what it seems to be. It's becoming something else. And ultimately, of course, in, in the most personal way, our body, we think, well, if someone, uh, you know, hasn't really gotten into the Hare Krishna movement, they probably think that uh, I am this body. And uh, therefore, the fire, I mean, it's just like, it's, what do they say? Death by a thousand uh, pricks. You know, it's, it's like, um, you know, instead of stabbing someone, you just do a little prick. And, and then, you know, you just keep little tiny little cuts you know you finally kill the person but it's it's a slow death and so material world what we call life in a sense is is, is a sort of a slow dying process and therefore bhava the world of becoming is compared to a blazing forest fire and so here when this verse chapter uh one three thirty two the jivo the jiva that jiva is subject to punar bhava, again becoming. So you, you're born in a body, that body is always becoming another body at every moment. Finally, it, you know, the grand finale is what we call death. And 
and then you become another uh, you don't become another body but but you another false ego arises another material body so that's called punar again bhava you went through this whole ordeal you went through this whole experience of a material life and now it's going to happen again that's called punar bhava which is one of the ways in sanskrit it's a reincarnation by the way so sajivo jat punar bhava so that's verse 32 uh and then so then what does the bhagavatam say uh oh so there's a solution now the bhagavatam is going to say that's the problem here's the solution yatra yatra me sadasad rupe pratishidhe swasam vida avidya yatmani krite iti tad brahmadarshanam so yatra means wherein wherein uh or a situation in which uh so wherein meaning this situation of punar bhava we're somehow trapped in this material world lord chaitanya says it's mahadav agni it's a great forest fire vishnup says samsara is the same thing samsara is just another word for um punar bhava it just means going around and around in this cycle of birth and death and rebirth so yatra so in that mess in this situation that we're in uh when as Prabhupada translates yatra here whenever literally in which uh uh for those who know a little sanskrit this is the uh anyway locket of absolute so when the grow the set a set which probably translates gross and subtle set a set literally means being and non-being that's literally what the words mean but they sometimes mean cause and effect or here gross and subtle so it's so it's just one thing one type of existing thing set and then the opposite asa so yet they may set a set rupe when the set and asat forms which you can take to mean your physical body, your material mind, gross and subtle, or subtle and gross, Prabhupada translates to gross and subtle. So when these forms, pratishidhe, are nullified, are rejected, are canceled out, in other words, when you go beyond your physical identification with, in this case, identification with your physical body or your subtle mind, when you, reject that false identification how and how do you get the power to reject it swasangvida by full self knowledge by full self knowledge uh, vit of course means to know that's where you get the word veda vit means to know that's where we get english words like vision video uh, wisdom and things like that and so in sung means as you know, like in Sankirtan, Sang means together. So Sangvit means full knowledge, like it's all together, it's complete. In other words, Sang is a prefix in Sanskrit, can mean together in the sense of complete, all together. And Swa, one's own. So by your own personal, complete understanding. Uh, when, by that, by, by complete self-understanding, these subtle and gross material forms are rejected uh then a vid and these forms 
were avidya yatmani krite, uh, they were uh, created by uh, ignorance in the self. In other words, within ourselves, these, uh, this material, gross and subtle, physical body and subtle mind, this material, false material identity, false ego, hankara, is sort of built, it's created in, in, within us, in our minds, in our consciousness, by ignorance. And so just as the, these false identifications are built by ignorance of vidyaya, they have to be uh, overcome, they have to be nullified by full self-knowledge. Iti, thus, that, iti thus, that is Brahma Darshanam. That is seeing the Absolute. That's what it means to see Brahma, the Absolute. And of course, in this case, we are Absolute. Uh, there can be Absolute in the sense of Krishna, God, the Absolute Truth. Absolute or Brahma can also refer to the Jiva in the sense that uh, we are beyond the limitations of material time and space. So absolute can also have that sense of just being beyond material limitations. <coughs> but of course we are <coughs> small Brahma and Krishna is the Parang Brahma, <coughs> Supreme Brahman. So iti, thus that is what it means to see the absolute or that is seeing the real truth. We have time for one more. Let's see. Okay, we'll do one more because this kind of is the end of a paragraph here. Yadyesha uparata devi maya vaisharadi mati sampanna eviti vidur mahimni sway mahiyate. Beautiful verse here. So yadi means if, if, esha, that devi maya. In other words, if that Maya, Devi Maya, Maya, the goddess Maya, that, that divine illusion. Devi can also just mean divine. If that if that divine illusion or if the goddess Maya, Uparata subsides. In other words, it stops. That's just the way of Uparata in Sanskrit just means it stops. So if that illusion of Maya, if it stops, Uparata, then you get Vaishara Dimati, you get full uh, consciousness, you get full Mati, consciousness. The word Visharada is, um, oh, here I have a Sanskrit. I'll tell you Vaishara Dimati, for those of you who are looking at the verse. Uh, the word Vaisharada, Vaishara Di is just the feminine. It means experienced, skilled, expert, infallible, unerring. It makes no mistake. Profound. So you get this experienced, expert, infallible, mature consciousness when Maya stops. That's, you know, in a sense, literally what is being said there. And so, uh, so when Maya stops, then you get consciousness, awareness, or Prabhupada calls it enlightenment, full of knowledge. Mati, of course, is from the Sanskrit verb manas, uh, uh, the, the, uh, man, which means to think, and then you get the word manas, mind, and from the, anyway, I won't go into all the grammar, how it becomes mati, although it's 
grammarians like myself find it interesting. But the word mati is a synonym for manas. It means consciousness, mind, awareness. So when that happens, then sampanna eva iti vidur. Then they know. Vidur means they know. And in Sanskrit, they often say things like that, like uh, usually like vidur, they know, or ahur, they say. And so who is they? It just means people that know what they're talking about. Like it's, it's, it's common in Sanskrit, in the Gita, the Bhagavatam, you'll find it, it'll, you'll find the expression, they say that this is the way it is, they say. And so when you get that ahur, or they say, it means people that know what they're talking about. And so here it just says iti vidur, thus they know which just means people who, who really know. They know that the, at that point, the soul is sampanna eva, is actually successful or complete. Sampat means good fortune, success. And so sampanna means successful, uh, actually complete. You've actually made it. It's just a way in Sanskrit of saying you made it. Now you're perfect. You're complete. You, you really got there. Sampanna eva, you really made it. You're really successful as a soul. Iti, uh, they know that, people that, that know. And at that point, mahimni sve mahiyate. This is very interesting. Uh, all these words like mahimni and mahiyate, mahiyate is the verb, mahimni is, is uh, anyway, is the noun, but they all come, of course, they're different forms uh, from the same root as maha. Maha means great. And so mahimni means like in one, and sway is from swa, in one's own greatness. In other words, in your own true glory, in your own true greatness, mahiyate, you are exalted, you are magnified. And I say magnified because the word magna, magnificent, comes from the Sanskrit maha. You just change the H to a G, maha and magna, and you get Sanskrit. So the two words are related. And so literally you could say magnified, which uh, magnified, of course, now in English means more like with a magnifying glass, but in older English to magnify means just to like to glorify, to make great. So, so mahiyate. So then they know that then the soul is actually successful, has actually really made it, is, has become complete as a person. And at that point, the soul is magnified, mahiyate, is exalted, is made great in the soul's own greatness. That's why the mahimni mahiyate, it's a sort of poetic repetition of the same words from the same root, that the soul then is uh, made great in the soul's own real greatness. So, uh, very interesting discussion in the third chapter, we get the list of avatars, then, we're told that the Virat Rupa, because its material is not Krishna's real form, and the Bhagavatam then goes on, well, as long as we're talking about things that aren't really material, that's also the soul. The soul is also not really material. And then we get this whole discussion of how the soul is bewildered, how the soul is enlightened, very briefly. And when Maya stops, and there is consciousness, which is complete, which is experienced, which is really... Uh, wise, then, in other words, when you become Krishna conscious, then they know that the soul has become perfect. The soul has really become successful and is made great in the soul's own true greatness.
These are beautiful verses in Sanskrit, and I've tried to give you some idea of the poetic power of these verses. So let me look very quickly and... Uh, all right, Krishna and Govardhan. So uh, let me see if there's any questions. If, if I don't answer your questions, if I don't see it, sometimes it's because it's Facebook's fault because they don't give me all the comments. Facebook, in its foolishness, thinks that it knows what comments I'd rather see and sometimes takes some of them out, which is why sometimes I don't see your comments. Uh, but I don't see any questions. So if you ask a question and I'm not seeing it, uh, then uh, that's the reason. It's not because I don't like you. It's because Facebook did it. Oh, here's one question. How to preach making Krishna the attraction to Krishna consciousness? Uh, you have to be attracted to Krishna. If you're attracted to Krishna, then you can make others attracted. Oh, here's a question. Uh, let's see. Uh, with Kali Yuga becoming stronger, how can one become immunized from various asampradayak or unbonafide philosophies? Well, you take Prabhupada's book seriously. You know, read them and actually take them seriously. So, uh, Buddhism, could you discuss this a bit more in light of understanding Brahman? I tend to like to use kirtan as a metaphor for thinking of this, Krishna's one. We are the many, but we are all the kirtan. Krishna's all, well, as you probably know, I'm, uh, I like literal language, and so we're not technically kirtan. We are actually people that do kirtan. And what we can say, in deference to your metaphor, is that when we do kirtan, we realize our pure self. So in the process of kirtan, the process of glorifying Krishna, either by working for Krishna to glorify him, working for his movement, or by actually chanting, we realize ourselves through kirtan. So uh, we'll do it that way. So thank you all very much. Uh, hope to see you all next Sunday, which will very likely be the last class from good old San Diego. So, uh, Hare Krishna.